Hello, friends, and welcome to Word Books with Friends, episode number 18. Uh, if you've been listening along with us, we've just wrapped up our reread of Harry Potter and Sorcerer's Stone by J.K. Rowling. And now it's time for our special afterwards episode. Uh, this is going to be where we sit back and we kind of discuss our overall thoughts on the book. We're also going to be looking at the 2001 Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone movie by uh, Christopher Columbus that came out. And just its representation of the book that we just read. And as always, I'm Chris, and I'm joined by one of my best friends, Paul. Hey, I'm Paul. You're Paul. Uh, And Paul, we can't do this alone. Not only do we need our listeners, but we also need a sponsor to help support us through this. And today, uh, I'm happy to say this episode is being brought to you by Portance's Predictive Point Providers. Hey, (laughs) Do you need help figuring out the points that you need to delve out to the students at your Hogwarts Wizarding Academy? Let the fine people at Portance's Predictive Point Providers provide you with your points. Does it matter? No, they're just going to make them up. But you know what? That's the fun of it. Portance's Predictive Point Providers. They're ready to point you in the right direction. <laughs> Love it. Because let me tell you, I was getting heated <laughs> during that last episode about the points at Hogwarts. It's all stupid. Anyways, you know what's not stupid? <laughs> you Harry, know what? Uh, us getting together. And the Sorcerer's Stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, us getting together, discuss the book. Uh, I had a lot of fun rereading it. I had a lot of fun uh, rereading it in this way where I was taking notes and really thinking about it. And really trying to dive into what might be in this book that's foreshadowing things to come. Mm-hmm. Um, having the eye towards that, uh, that's how I've, I've really taken this time. I'm, I'm trying to highlight things in my notes to be like, hey, this is what I want to keep on looking towards uh, and, and be mindful of in the next book and in the next book. Uh, Chris, how about you? How was this reading experience for you? Uh, honestly, I really enjoyed it too. And, I love Harry Potter. I've always enjoyed going back and rereading the books anytime I've done it previously, but this was the first time. And again, I mentioned this when we were actually in the book proper. This was the first time that I really paced it out. And I don't want to say paid attention to it because, you know, I've, I've read this book before. I've seen the movie multiple times. It's a story that I know, but this was the first time that I really would read a chapter, stop let things sink in, take notes about it, move on to the next chapter, take notes, let it sink in. A couple of the chapters I would read and then read the next one, read the next one, and then I would go back and reread it, take my notes, reread the next chapter. And I think that just, I don't want to say made me take note of things a little bit more, no pun intended, but it it really helped with storytelling to have that kind of breath in between chapters. Yeah, I think that's an important part, part because, yeah, like like you were saying, when I've sat down to read read this, this is the one book that I was because I didn't read these books as they came out. I, I've come to them much later on in life. So when I read this book, it was basically to get through it so I could get to the good parts, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so taking your my time with it for the first time. Is, is kind of uh, really made me appreciate it more. Uh, one of the parts that I really do appreciate is how uh, how much Hermione really grows in this book 
in itself because honestly, I know I said it during the show. She starts off as such a pro- an antagonist. Mm. She's there just being a Bundinsky, really trying to just ki- be a killjoy <laughs> for everything that Ron and our uh, Harry are, are doing. And then she becomes in the thick of it, and she's like, "No, let's we got to go do this. Let's let's get this done." And she's right into the adventures with the uh, the, t- the two other guys. Mm. Um, I don't think the movie portrays that as well uh, yeah. because she, you know in in the well we'll get to the movie in, when we get to the movie but that's one of the things I really noticed during this read that I didn't appreciate before um, in the very last chapter with the, the whole thing with James saving Se- uh, Se- Severus Snape like that's something that I definitely want to keep my eye on going forward uh, and also Dumbledore mm-hmm. with, you know he's such a thing bath in the very first meeting of him, where he's like, I want to say a couple words. And he says three nonsense words all, all in a row. Yeah. Um, whether or not he, how much he knows and when he knows it, which is a phrase that I'm not happy with saying right now, but you know, well, what, what did he know and when he knows it, uh, yeah. when he knows it? Like, I, I think that's going to be interesting on this reread of books because we know where it's going. And one of the things, too, that is kind of apparent as you're reading the final book, and once we wind up getting to that one, is J.K. Rowling really does draw from everything else that happened previously to get you to that point. But it all stems from, you know, this first book here with Sorcerer's Stone. And a lot of it's kind of thrown out there at the beginning because these are the themes that don't just carry through this story, but it's going to be the next six that follow it, as well as the movies. With, uh, I think, friends and family. You know, your friends can become your family. Um, hmm. That that's really strong because we meet Harry where he does have his family, but they're really not. It's family and name only. But then the people that he meets at Hogwarts that becomes his family. You know the Weasleys become that extended family. You know, he never had anyone like that for him actually at home. And it took him getting out of the house to find his home at Hogwarts. And he even mentions that in the, the final chapter when they're saying goodbye, he's like, Oh, I'm not going home. Hogwarts is my home. Mm-hmm. Also death is a really big theme throughout all the books too, because the book literally starts with, the death of Harry's parents and then death is an overarching theme throughout every single one of the next books too, because it's going to be a constant part of Harry's life going forward until he eventually is going to have to meet his own death alongside Voldemort. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, even in this book, it's, I, I kind of pushed it a little bit uh, in the last episode uh, talking about the last chapter about maybe Nicholas Flamel is that character that doesn't want to give up life and until he's faced with no other option. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, now, you know, Harry, to the well-organized mind, death is the next great adventure. Like, that's how uh, Dumbledore puts it to Harry. Mm-hmm. That Nicholas, when you finally become ready, when you're old enough and you're ready to die, like, it's not that big of a deal. It's just the next step. 
that you got to take. So, and I think kind of another one. It's um, it's definitely there, and it kind of becomes a little bit more prevalent in some of the later books, but Harry's really setting himself up against the expectations. That's kind of, he's putting it on himself at this point because, Oh, well, I didn't even know I'm a wizard. Everyone's going to be expecting so much from me at this, you know, once I get into the wizarding world, because I'm, I'm the boy who lived later on, you're going to get those expectations of, well, he's the chosen one, but then that's also thrown over to, you know, at this point, someone who's a side character with Neville, where Neville also could be possibly the chosen one. There's that expectation, like, who's actually going to be the one that rises to power? Who does that prophecy actually uh, point to? Neville's growth, uh, I've always enjoyed in the movies. Uh, I, I think Neville's one of the... He's definitely my favorite side character. Uh, right up there with Luna. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, seeing his growth in the books and seeing how he's in the books a heck of a lot more than in the movies. And I kinda, oh, yeah. I forgot about that, that he's the one out in the Forbidden Forest. He's, you know, uh, actually out there finding the Fluffy the dog with them. It's, you know, we say it's the Golden Trio, but really in this book... He's as much part of it as Hermione is, you know, because the first what eight chapters, Hermione's yeah. basically non-existent up until Halloween. Um, I don't have the book open anymore. I don't uh, know. No why. worries, but that's the thing too, because again, something I think the books do a lot better is it puts you into that school, not just that school, but the houses, the classes. There's a lot more stuff going on than just following Ron, Harry, and Hermione through their their big adventures. The books do focus a little bit more just on that stuff that's happening in between the scenes of the movies, which makes it feel more, I don't want to say like, like a real world, but it's a fleshed out world. Mm-hmm. It is fleshed out, but then again, in some ways, it's not. And it's, you know, that... Uh, incongruity there with where everything we, we just talked about how we're upset with the points because everything else seems to be so like thought out has a purpose there's rules and then there's things that are just kind of thrown together in this world like like exams and points and I, maybe that's why I get so irritated by it um and those are the parts that I really don't enjoy in the book. Mm-hmm. Like whenever we're coming up against that, where things like Quidditch, where it all just eh, nothing really matters except for grabbing the golden snitch. Like, why is everything else so? Th- why in this world that uh, J.K. Rowling created everything so th- well thought out, but there's these glaring holes still? Like, why wasn't there care? or more time taken to really make this kind of kind of all come together. Mm-hmm. It's like gears that don't fit and it just, they grind and they grind and it, they're just really loud and they, they take me out of it. And some of that might just be because world building, like, Oh, it's a 
crazy, kooky, magical world. Not everything is supposed to make sense, so it didn't require any more thought than, oh, well, we make an earwax-flavored bean because they're every flavor. Well, no, if you made terrible-flavored candy, people would not want to eat that candy. The company wouldn't make that candy. You know, uh, Chris, Chris, guess what I ate while watching Harry Potter last night? What'd you eat? The Jelly Bellies, every flavored beans. And I ate a grass one. See, the grass one's not one. bad, though. Like, that's yeah. the thing. Uh, the, the black pepper isn't bad either. Uh, earthworm, gross. Uh, the vomit, not good. The soap, really bad. Uh, and then I stopped eating them, and I still have the box open, but I still buy the box because I'm like, you know what? It's a good gag. See, it's a good and that's the thing. You're buying it because party it's, trick. It's a good gag. You're doing it for the novelty of it. Now, if you're just picking up something that you just want to snack on as you're driving to work, you're not going to want to get that. Right. You're going to get Skittles or a regular flavored jelly bean, even because right. those are the ones that people are going to want. Like, uh, but they they still sell and they're they still available. I mean, they still sell, but it's because of the novelty of it. Nobody's novelty. just going to buy. They they shouldn't be as uh, ubiquitous. As they are yeah. in this book. They shouldn't be on the trolley cart on the Hogwarts Express. Yeah, everything else, like chocolate frogs. Okay, that's that's fine. That's licorice wands. A, a chocolate that sense. I'm going to eat. Yeah, licorice wands, like acid pops. Like It's going to be candy that you're eating because it's candy. It's not going to be something that you're eating because you just want to eat it. Like you, It sounds yeah. like so, even wizards aren't enjoying most of those candies that they get because earwax vomit booger mm-hmm. like if you vote with your wallet people yeah and, that, and that's the thing like, and you and i buy it because oh it's the novelty i used to buy them when the new harry potter movies would come out and eventually like i just stopped doing it because it's like well i don't like eating these when i'm watching the right. movie because all of a sudden like oh i get a sausage flavored one that's not enjoyable for me. And I apologize. Yeah, the one was not good either. I apologize whoever had to sweep up the Regal Theater in Orchard Park, New York, because, yeah, that first night the movie would come out, you probably swept up a lot of half-eaten jelly beans from me. Mm. My bad. See, I, I'd only eat them. I even decided, like, ooh, you know what? We'll tape up the box, and it's only a thing for, like, a party or something when you have people over and you're like, ah, you know. Try this. Oh, what is it? You know, because you know, we can throw a good Harry Potter oh, theme party. You know, we could and we have. We can do another one. I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. But even at that point, like, I'd be okay with going to, you know, a supermarket and getting the bulk Jelly Belly beans because the ones that they sell just if you're walking down the supermarket mm-hmm. aisle, it's going to be banana, cotton candy, tutti frutti. I think the weirdest flavor one that they have just for regular buying is buttered popcorn. You yeah. Know, that's like the, whoa, this is funky flavor that you would be able to get just at the store. And even that, it's not bad. It's, it's okay. Yeah. I, I think when we get to the topic of the movie, I'll have more issues with them trying to be wacky and different to me. For no reason other than to make it look wacky well, I mean, we different. Can, 
can kind of head into it too because I mean a lot of it does kind of cross over into it because it's one thing to you know read it and it's another thing to actually see it play out and I think ultimately the movie does a really good job of bringing this world to life it doesn't yeah. have the time or the resources to focus on everything that we see in the book but that's any adaptation of a novel Things just can't always make the cut. Time, resources, money. its Things won't actually happen. Yeah, this uh, movie came out in 2001. Director, as you said, Christopher Columbus. Screenplay, uh, screenplay by uh, Steve Cloves. Uh, this is the first... Steve Cloves even came out and said the first time he heard about the world of Harry Potter was when he was hired to write the screenplay for Harry Potter. I think he um, did all the other adaptations. Yeah. Okay. Cause I was going to uh, say, uh, no, he did not write, uh, order the Phoenix. Okay. That's the only one that uh, Steve Clove was not involved with. He's was, I, he did come back and do the two fantastic beasts and he's supposedly signed on for the third fantastic beast though. Nobody knows when or if that will get produced. I'm, um, I have faith that we'll see a third one. I don't know if we're going to get four and five like was originally stated and promised. Right. But yeah, it's weird because I don't, I'm able to follow directors. You ask me about a screenwriter, I can't tell you who wrote what, but I recognize hearing that name and I know I've seen it on most of those Harry Potter movies. So yeah, okay, it makes sense that he's done all of them. Except yeah, for the, one, you know. He did write uh, the screenplay for Wonder Boys, which was a film or a book adaptation right before getting hired mm. for, to do the Harry Potter books. But it wasn't like he was doing kid movies. It was uh, looking at his filmography. But since he took Harry Potter, it's basically that's been it. I mean, good for him. Good for him. He's because I think he did a really good job with adapting everything that he could and. And he did have J.K. Rowling working with him. And so it's something that we talked about a little bit previously on one of the episodes. I don't remember which one, but she's been there from the inception, not just of the books, but then also the movies and the theme parks as well, because they do have the Wizarding World of Harry Potter is available in the Universal Studios parks around the world. Not even just the ones here in America, but Japan has it. I think Singapore is getting like a Diagon Alley part. Like they have been brought to life. So she's been able to kind of steward the brand through all versions of it, which is important because it's not just inspired by, it is by JK Rowling. And she's been able to step up and give weight and meaning to things that they might have glossed over or not even put into the movies by saying, no, this is going to be important later on. Can't tell you when or why, but it's needed. And to uh, kind of, before we get like any further, like, and that was something that she gave to the cast as well, because she gave um, Alan Rickman, who played Cerberus Snape, information about his character and his motivations that nobody else knew because it wasn't going to come into play until you actually find out you know, his uh, motivations for everything in the books. Like, at this point, like, five books from now, like, with um, Half-Blood. Yeah. 
It, uh, I did want to mention, you, you did mention The Wizarding World. Steve Close also wrote the script for Ron, Hermione, and Harry when they come out to talk to you at in The Forbidden Journey. Nice. He's he's also credited for uh, credited on IMDb for that. So <laughs> Good he's on everywhere. Him. And the uh, the uh, producer David Heyman, he's he's been the producer on all uh, eight movies. Director, of course, Christopher Columbus only does this one and Chamber of Secrets. Yeah. And then he's out. Uh, Christopher Columbus was kind of hired as a director because he was known for working very well. With uh, kid actors, and that's he got Home Alone, and then yep. uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. He did too. Exactly. Yep. yep. I'm trying. You know, I let me because I'm on the IMDb for Sorcerer's Stone right now. I just click on his name because mm-hmm. for me, like Chris Columbus, like when I hear his name, Home Alone's the first thing that pops into my mind because that was just you know a quintessential part of growing up in the '90s. Like you saw that movie because. It's a great movie. Um, Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Mrs. Doubtfire. He also did Bicentennial Man. That's awesome. Uh, but then <laughs> spinning out of this, he also wound up doing the Percy Jackson and the Olympians movie for Disney, which I haven't seen, but rumors are that's going to be adapted into a series for Disney+. Plus, Which yeah. I, I'm not opposed to checking out, because I've heard good things about the books, but never never looked into them. Uh, Chris, talking about Home Alone, there's one other uh, connection between this movie and Home Alone. Uh, Chris, can you guess at it? Uh, well, at this point, Macaulay Culkin was probably too old to play Harry, so I don't know what it would be. Uh, John Williams doing the score. Oh, you know what? I forgot he did the movie, uh, the music for Home Alone. Yeah, he did the music for home alone. He does the music for this movie. I don't know if he comes back for the next because honestly they have the main score. Yeah. You know, that, the main the Hedwig's theme, which it's that's the Harry Potter song, you know, is actually called the Hedwig's theme. Uh, mm-hmm. That plays like through all of the movies. Like that is the official Harry Potter theme song. Like you, it's probably the Imperial it March right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> of, of Harry Potter. Um, no, yeah, I forgot he he did a uh, Home Alone too. There we go. Uh, already mentioned that Scott Close did not write Order of the Phoenix, uh, and uh, director Christopher Columbus. I, you know, this is the one thing get, that gets me is he wanted to create a unusual, weird look for everything that had to do with the Wizarding World, and he kind of. Like overdoes the the you know makeup on some of the uh, professors, and we'll talk about that. And like when they enter in Gringotts the first time, there's cobwebs like everywhere. Every time they turn a corner, there's like just cobwebs and dust. And I'm like, dude, they have magic. It's gonna be clean. It's <laughs> like have, I don't. They have magic, but also there is the entire Muggle world outside too they would have access to stuff like vacuum cleaners or yeah. feather dusters like there's or, or nail trimmers <laughs> because not. some of these witches that the season of the three broomsticks like their nails are like three inches long for no reason it's like they just look 
grody and gross, and they're all wearing wardrobes that look like they were leftovers from like a 1970s production of Hamlet. Like it's like what are what are these people wearing? Yeah, it's I don't get it. And I mean, you could attribute this to like the wizarding world as a whole. Because, uh, you know, once Harry starts to spend some more time with the Weasleys in the upcoming books and or movies, as we'll get to those two. So a character like Arthur Weasley is fascinated by muggle life and culture, but he knows very little about it. And it's like mm-hmm. you can just walk down the street and get this information to you. None of this should be secret to you. It's understandable that Harry doesn't understand the wizarding world because, you know, it was a mystery to him. He wasn't brought up in it. Arthur's had, like, the full ability to, you know, jump out into the muggle world whenever he wants. Like, he has he has an actual car if he wants to just drive down the street. And okay. it's not like yeah. the two worlds are completely, like, segregated because... Muggles don't know about the Wizarding World. The Wizarding World knows fully about the Muggle World. Like, they have some of that information and knowledge. Like, they could easily draw from it. All right. If I studied, though, like Mandarin in college and learned the language pretty well and everything, and I lived in a big city that had a robust Chinatown, uh, I would still have questions about Chinese culture and Chinese history and, you know, even if I studied it and I could literally just like walk down the street and go into quote unquote Chinatown, I think I would still have questions. Now, would those questions be about a rubber duck? Yeah, and that was that was going to be my. But you can walk into Chinatown and be like, "Oh, that's a rubber duck. It's it's for bath time fun. Like that's right. that's what it is." But Chris, that cat. That's in the windows of Chinese, uh, you know, stores. That's waving backwards at you. What's that about? Uh, the, the, it's a lucky cat. It's supposed to bring good fortune. That's why it's holding the coin. Oh, there you go. See, see, I would have to see. I had to ask somebody though. But like, <laughs> but it's not like you would walk into like Chinatown and point at a vacuum cleaner and be like, "What's that?" <laughs> yeah, it's like. It's those basics of life. You know, so you might always want some more information or clarification on something, but it's mm-hmm. not like, what's the light bulb? Like, All right. I, I, I tried my best. No, it's, it's okay, because that's mm-hmm. just one of those... No, I agree. Like, the dichotomies of it. It's like, when you have access to everything else that's available in the world, you can just do magic on top of it. Mm-hmm. And so why do you even think about the other stuff that's going on? <laughs> no. Unless it's just like that ultimate, like, I don't want to say laziness, but like a comfort in the wizarding world where they never had to branch out and figure out what a vacuum cleaner is because they can magic away anything that's a problem. And, oh, that cobweb there is just doesn't matter. It's not doing anything. Right. And also you say you can stroll into the muggle world, but how much do you think the regular witcher wizard is afraid of breaking the statute of secrecy. Uh, like, is that a big, we'll is that to... a huge deal where you don't want, like in the book you got in the very first chapter, yeah, I was gonna... well, the second first, cha- first chapter, right? Oh yeah. Uh, Vernon just running into all those peoples and robes and everything. And it's like, Ooh, <laughs> guys. Yeah. They, they're just, 
hanging out and about. Like it's not like it's a completely separate world. Like they're not walking through a portal and they're just, you know, separate plane of existence. I mean, you're getting those witches and wizards right there walking through the streets of London. Like it's not, I mean, it's probably just personal choice. Like, Oh, they maybe live around there. So they're walking to, to work or they're trying to get to like the next closest port key to take them to their, their wizarding world job. Who knows? Um, yeah, because I was gonna say like that first chapter just kind of throws it out there where no they're they're out and about like they know enough that they're able to yeah. or not know enough but they're comfortable enough just to be like it's a great day hooray mm-hmm. and, and again like That's true. some of them even know who Harry is his first walk into the into the leaky cauldron you know at least I think kind of in the movie there's that moment of. Hagrid bringing Harry into the Wizarding World, where it's like, oh my gosh, like, hey, nice to meet you, holy cow, like you're you're him, you know. So there is the legend there, but it's not like people are just walking past him on the street, like giving him finger guns, like, hey, Harry, <laughs> cool. <laughs> which is kind of what more like the book leans on, which you know, you listen to like the first few episodes we recorded. That's what baffled me. It's like, no, he's everyone already knows who he is. Like, what's What's special about bringing him into that world? You know, we're not going to go scene by scene here in the movie. It's more just general, right? Like, oh yeah, it's it's just like a general like talk. Because again, I I've watched this movie multiple times. It's been a bit since I actually have sat down to go through them. But one of the things that always really bothered me about it is you don't get much of the Hogwarts ghosts. And I think that's one of those things that not to make the plan, but breathes life into Hogwarts is because it's like, no, there's ghosts just like floating around interacting with students and you do see them throughout the movies, but they're just kind of there in the background. And it seems like one of those things that they probably would have wound up cutting as a whole if JK Rowling hadn't been like, no, at one point they're going to have to talk to the Grey Lady because, you know, Ravenclaw's going to be important because they have to get to like, the Room of Requirement. You have her uh, the diadem. Yeah, like, that's that's going to be important. Like, you need to have them as something of a presence. But besides, you know, just being in the background of some of the halls, just, they, don't, they don't do anything. Yeah, they, uh, kind of downplay the ghosts here they kind of downplay the whole school element we don't get the kids really worried about the exams like the most we get the uh, talk of the exams is ron's like oh i'm glad that's over it's like wait what's over oh i guess he had finals like they're not stressing about it they're not studying in the library oh, yeah, they're not even spending time really in class like we see them in the classrooms at some point but it seems just to be like no you see them in classes just to again, point out the fact that they're in the wizarding world. So you see them dealing with McGonagall. You see them dealing with mm-hmm. Snape. The next time you see a class is when McGonagall pulls Oliver Wood out of Flitwick's class. Like <laughs> uh, Flitwick's class in the book, but uh, 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 Quirrell's class in the movie. That's right, yeah. Because... You know, he's got a lizard. There's, <laughs> like, yeah, 
<laughs> well, they do, uh, you know, I have to say, they do a good job with, like, hatcheting the book and, like, just reforming it. Because there's a lot of scenes that are basically two scenes in one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this uh, scene that stands out most in my mind is a scene with Hagrid when he lets out, lets slip n- about uh, Fluffy um, and Nicholas Somel all in the same like scene. And yeah. that's like months apart, like in the book. <laughs> well, even they completely gloss over the fact that once Harry goes shopping for all of his wizarding stuff... He goes. He goes home. <laughs> like he's at home for like another like two months. Movie. Hager takes him shopping, and then just like, here's your ticket. I'm gonna dip. Bye. And then he leaves it up to Harry. Like, no. In the books, it's actually the Dursleys have to take Harry to King's Cross, and then the Dursleys are just like, all right, well, we got you here. Now it's up to you to figure it out. We don't care. And then that. Mm-hmm moment kind of makes sense because yeah Harry's going to be a little bit more lost because he doesn't have someone there helping him through the wizarding world like he doesn't have good guy Hagrid there mm-hmm. to say like oh hey like this is this is what we're doing like this is what this is this is everything that you need to know like yeah the jersey's Hagrid one car Hagrid wanted to just dipped out until Harry was actually on the train you know, he would, book he would have been there waving goodbye, and then he would have been there mm-hmm. waving hello. Like he would have been there to say, "Like, hey, how was the train ride?" Like, exactly. <laughs> haven't seen you in eight hours. Because I, I did Google it. I was just curious uh, how long it takes the Hogwarts Express to get from King's Cross to the Highlands of Scotland, where Hogwarts or Hogsmeade is, uh, and it's about an eight-hour train ride. Wow! So I mean, they're Every on day. the train for for a pretty decent amount of time. So Ron and Harry eating everything off the the candy cart makes a little bit more sense because they're they're stuck there pretty much. Yeah, in the movies they give uh, Hermione a little bit more of a welcome with her fixing Harry's glasses like she's not just a snotty girl like being like, "Hey, you guys aren't doing I can't believe you guys got in a fight already." Um you know, uh, I can't believe this is happening. You guys should be helping and looking for this frog. <laughs> like, there's none of that. No. Uh, she's a lot more smoothed out. Uh, the one thing I did want to uh, talk about on the Hogwarts Express on, from the movie is that there's the number is 592. Ooh. Written on the Hogwarts Express train. Chris, do you have any knowledge or any reason why 592, uh, 5, 5972 is written on that train? Uh, I'm going to say they're all odd numbers. Except sir, two, oh, two. is an yeah, even five. number. Yeah, yeah that's an even know. number. I don't know. <laughs> no, no it's about Harry, five, nine. Yeah. Chris, it's Harry Potter where the numbers don't matter. Gotcha. It's, it's a, it's a uh, there is it, there is a specific type of train um, that the Hogwarts Express locomotion is. The numbers 5972 would have just been the number assigned to that particular locomotive. It doesn't have any more meaning than that. Gotcha. <laughs> like, yep. Well, that's the thing. Because some of the stuff that we looked up for the actual book discussion like actually has meaning to it. You know, there's witches and wizards mm-hmm. that are mentioned that have some sort of I mean, it's all fake, but 
you know, they have a fake history built into them that, oh, yes, this is the wizard that created this potion or did this. So, yeah, I, there very well could have been some sort of meaning to it. No, I, I spent some time looking it up. Nothing. Um, also, one of the weird things they did, you know, Chris Columbus decided to change. When Harry and um, Hagrid are talking about, you know, who killed Harry's parents, mm-hmm. in the book, it they're talking about it over a hamburger. You know, completely normal thing to eat. In the movie, they decide to have it, like, I'm guessing at the Leaky Cauldron, and they're eating, like, a weird stew. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all these little things that they decide to, like, oh, I don't want it, I don't want the Wizarding World to be seen that normal. I'm going to change the, you know, look at this, look at that. Also, like, one of those kind of explanations and inviting Harry into that world, I think, I kind of wish they had carried from the book into the movie, too, was the first meeting between Draco and Harry. Oh, yeah. Because in the movie, it doesn't happen until they're already at school. Like, they've already, you know, done all their shopping, they've taken the train ride, and then once Harry's there is when he has his first run-in with Malfoy. And I think actually having it in the book kind of serves not just Draco and Harry better, but also, like, the overall story, because... Up to this point in the books, everyone that's met Harry's been so like gung ho, like oh my, you're Harry, you're Harry, you're Harry. Mm-hmm. The thing that I love about his first meeting with Draco is, I'm Draco, I'm Draco, I'm Draco. I don't care who you are. You're not even get a chance to introduce yourself to me. I'm out the door. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like that, and I think that's kind of one of more of those moments that you get in the book that kind of cuts Harry down a little bit. And the only reason that he comes to the train cart is because he's like, oh, I heard Harry Potter on this train cart. I'm going to make a powerful friend. It's to serve my own interest. Hmm. Like, yeah. And he missed Yeah, you're right. He completely missed that movie. Um, so I'm trying to think. Something else. I mean, besides the actual school life stuff, the ghosts. Uh, right at Right at the end, like heading into the climax you don't get the rest of the teacher's challenges. You don't get nope. to see the, well, the double snares handled differently. You don't get to see a potion one at all. Um, There's no troll that they, the have, troll's not maybe. there either. Yeah. You, you see, unless I think, unless you own the, uh, a Blu-ray that came out, Blu-ray 4k that includes the, uh, extended edition, because I believe they have walked past it in the extended edition. Gotcha. I'm watching it off the old Blu-rays. Yeah, I have, like, I don't even have the Blu-ray copies of it. Oh, I yeah, have, I'm like, not Blu-rays, it's the old DVD. So. Yeah, I have the old DVD, like, when it first came out. Um, I picked it up that way. If you happen to watch it on uh, now the Sci-Fi Channel or, I, I forget who else plays it, USA. Whoever owns that block of uh, cable networks. They do play that extended cut of all of the movies. And so if you buy it on the special Blu-ray edition, uh, those extended cuts are put into the movie as well. Um, also, the I actually brought up a, a list because I couldn't remember everything else. And one of the things that actually I sent you a picture of it as I was watching the movie, uh, right. Harry's broom 
gets delivered right in the middle of lunch or breakfast, whatever they're eating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just rip it open right there. And <laughs> yeah. the books, no secret. McGonagall has a letter. I was like, Hey, don't open this in front of people. Like keep it on the DL. Uh, I completely forgot about that too. Um, mm-hmm. Other note is uh, Norbert gets sent away by Dumbledore. It's not a case of them smuggling him out uh, with, mm-hmm. you know, Charlie Weasley sending him like, or some of his co-workers to go get him. Um, Neville doesn't get detention. I think we talked about that previously with mm-hmm. the Neville stuff. Yeah. Uh, oh, also Harry only sees his parents in the mirror. It's not the rest of his kind of extended family there as well. Yeah. Which it was kind of an annoying choice because it seems like Harry would want a whole family, not just his mom and dad, but they kind of cut it. But I, I can understand that because even in the the book, he's seeing a bunch of random people, and he's like, "Who's that guy?" So, so I think right. the uh, seeing his parents, he can easily put that together because he he looks like his dad. You know, it's one of those things that's constantly said to him. He's uh, got his mother's eyes, though. Uh, something that you mentioned previously. Uh, and we kind of touched on a little bit. The ghosts don't have as much of a presence, but also there's no Peeves in yeah. in the movie at all. But apparently, he had been cast. He was being played by actor uh, Rick Maytel, who you may know oh. from Drop Dead Fred. Nope. Really, you've never seen Drop Dead Fred? Nope. Nope. Never seen. Are it. you familiar with it? Nope. Oh, okay. Well, it's um a girl who had an imaginary Fred or I'm sorry, imaginary friend named Fred grows up, but then her imaginary friend comes back to her in her adult life and is kind Mm -hmm. of derailing her, her entire existence. Uh, The actor who played her imaginary friend was going to play Peeves, which makes, makes sense. Uh, Look up the trailer for it and you'll see like, Oh yeah, I can totally see that guy as Peeves. (laughs) Um, Also, okay, the list. No potions task, we talked about that. Um, Hermione doesn't go back to try to send the letter. She just stays with Ron. Mm -hmm. Um, Sorting Hat Song gets cut. I think we talked about that during the actual Sorting Hat Song chapter because Harry Potter loves its rhymes and songs. I'm glad they cut that out. Uh, Hagrid bringing... Harry to Queen's Cross. <clears throat> Discuss that. Draco and Harry meet. Yeah. Um, oh, this is something that really doesn't matter. In the movie, Dudley and Aunt Petunia have blonde hair. In the books, they don't. That does. That's an aesthetic thing. Like, mm-hmm. um, uh, and it's a different type of snake in the movie versus oh. the book. You can catch that. It again. Like that's just one of those things. Like that's. Like set dressing more than anything else because mm-hmm. it's a scene. It was a, cons- it was a constrictor in the book movie Burmese Python. Uh, but you know, then, it, uh, it, that's just like I feel like a thing that's there just to show the world, and then I think that grew into something else once they decided, like, okay, parcel tongue's a thing. It's not just some fun magic. It's like a darker trait. 
Uh, with the other big change, of course, is who goes into the Forbidden Forest. Because yeah. in the books, Ron is in hospital getting his uh, infected dog bite looked at. Yeah. Definitely not a dragon. And Neville's the one that uh, goes, you know, was out past curfew uh, trying to run, uh, warn Ron and Hermione. We talked about that. And he's actually uh, in the group that goes out to the Forbidden Forest. Uh, all the centaur stuff is basically cut, yeah. cut out, except for Perez. Uh, and again, uh, I feel like that's just one of those things that he probably would have been cut out if it, and he is if, in all the other movies. But that's the thing. Like, I feel like he would have been cut out from this movie too if she hadn't spoken up and been like, "No, keep him around. He's going to matter because the centaurs are going to come back. Like, one of he'll be a teacher, and then they're going to be at the Battle of Hogwarts. But it seems like they just kind of." ultimately decided, well, no, that's still too much for us to try to put in once they finally get to that point in the movies, too. Uh, they they really play down the ding-baddiness of Dumbledore in, in the movie, but then again, after just finishing up this book, like, other than that one weird, you know, let me say a couple words here, Dumbledore is kind of Dumbledore in this. He's not... Yeah. But even, like, I feel like he's more present in the movies than he is in the book, because even in the book, it's a big deal when Dumbledore's mm-hmm. actually at the Quidditch game. And he's only at the second one. He wasn't at the first. Yeah. Uh, with Snape re- refereeing. But again, that's um, something that we find out in that final chapter, too, is Snape requested to actually be the ref at that game after what happened previously. Uh, but again, that's all cut out because they spend a lot of time on Quidditch in that first movie, but they don't really dwell on it as just like a constant thing that's existing during that school year. I mean, it keeps circling back through like later movies, but mm-hmm. the, the book has a lot more Quidditch talk in it. Yeah, like three chapters are devoted to Quidditch, and you know what they don't do? <laughs> they don't. They don't break down the scoring and how. How it actually, how every match actually matters, and what the matches actually, you know, uh, affect in the house standings. How the the inter house Quidditch Cup is actually won. They describe none of that, but we get three chapters describing what the heck a bludger is. For nope, the points don't matter. None none of it matters. But I will say, going back and rewatching this movie nineteen years after it had originally come out. Besides some kind of wonky CG, like when Harry's on the back of, or not Harry. Um, yeah, when ne- Harry's on the back of the troll, when Harry's yeah. on the broom. Uh, when Neville's, like, like hanging from the spire. Besides some of yeah. the, like, that kind of wonky CG, it the movie still looks really good. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Go ahead. During the Quidditch match, I have to say, it's very weird because they do the whole, like, camera the kids are on some sort of wire rig thing and it looks good. And then they cut to like Oliver Wood and he makes a save and then he gets hit and it's him, the actual actor and he gets hit by a bludger and it's him and he sloops over the broom and then they cut him out and then make a CGI character to slowly fall and land in the dirt. And I'm like, why did they do it with CGI? That looks so bad now. Why didn't they just keep, just the actor on a wire just slowly dropped yeah. into the sand. Like, or there's 
So many choices. Like, I was like, ugh. Just a stunt performer, like, green screen them, on, or, yeah, green screen them onto, uh, like, jumping onto a mat to fall, and then just cut it into, oh, it looks like Oliver falling into the sand beneath the rings. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, like, the movie looks great. And I recently upgraded my TV to, um, like, a 4K TV from, like, the old, like, tube that I had. Nice. Uh, yeah, nice. And you know what? Something that's really been bothering me is a lot of the shows that I'm watching, now that I'm seeing them in, like, that crystal, like, HD, mm-hmm. things look a little weird. Like, the closest thing I can describe it to is that, okay, I've watched, you know, all the Lord of the Rings movies. They look great. And now I'm watching The Hobbit with, like, the red camera and the ultra-smooth, like, 45 frames a second HD where everything looks mm-hmm. too slick and moves too quick because your eyes not used to seeing a TV that looks like that. So I can just like watch stuff on like the office on Netflix. It looks weird and different because my eyes just aren't used to it. I didn't have that feeling with Harry Potter at all. though. I don't know what it is. Oh, nice. Maybe like the movie just wasn't filmed in a high enough definition that it translates well to like that 4k, but it I expected it to look worse than it did being a 19 year old movie. Yeah. Uh, they do have these uh, available in 4k as well. Oh, nice. If you want to get four, if you want to get a 4k player to go with your big 4k TV. Um, uh, I have to say that, you know, in this movie, all the kids are wearing these, ro- you know, the black robes all the time. And also, they wear the pointy hats quite a bit, too. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that looked like the how all the kids dress is when Ron's walking out and his shirt's untucked, his tie's all undone, and I'm like, hey, that's a Hogwarts student I actually <laughs> recognize from all the later movies. Like, <laughs> uh, Also, like, his robes are a little bit dingier than everyone else's, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What else? What else? What else? Um, uh, I have a list of things uh, to say goodbye to okay. that we will never see in the movies again. Obviously, number one, goodbye, remember all? <laughs> I was going to say Professor Quirrell because it's like, no, yeah, we talked <laughs> about that. <laughs> Thanks for showing up and reminding us that we forgot something. Goodbye, friends, whose name is Florence in Italian. And whose river you are sailing down, apparently, and never to be seen again in the movies. Goodbye, Fluffy. May all three heads, your all three of your heads, find a comfortable spot to rest. Goodbye, Professor Coral. You've turned to dust. Before turning to dust was cool. Thanks, Avengers Endgame. Goodbye, Wizard's Chest. We'll put all your pieces away, never to be seen again. And lastly, goodbye, Trevor. I hope you didn't croak. Oh. It's my uh, list. Goodbyes. <laughs> so I just, uh, since I was on the IMDb, I just looked up trivia. And now, like, not a lot of this trivia is super interesting, uh, except for this one. And I'm going to take it for its word, because I can't remember enough to dispute it, even though I just watched the movie. Um, despite many instances of Harry being noted as a great wizard, Harry does not, in fact, cast a single spell during this movie. Uh, yeah. No, that <laughs> seems true. 
I mean, you could argue him making the glass disappear mm-hmm. at the zoo, but mm-hmm. again, he's not actually like casting any spells. So I don't yeah. think it's like, yeah, you don't really see him do anything. Like you see Hermione and Braun even do more magic than him. So yeah. But he's great on a broom. I mean, that's that he is. And that, um, we do at the very end of the book get an interaction, which really I think cements uh, Molly Weasley's opinion of uh, what's happened to Harry Potter's home life, where she's like, "Oh, you must be Harry's family," and Vernon doesn't even pay her any mind and just like walks off. Yeah, it's like, whew. Even Hermione, yeah, you know, notices that oh, his home life not, must not be great. <laughs> like, but it's only two months. Is that how long? Honestly, I don't even remember how long summer vacation was when you know we were going to school. Uh, started uh, like the second week of June, and finishes okay. off you know last week of August, first week of September. So. So you got all of June, all of July. Oh, you know, half of June, uh, June, all of July, then all of August. August. So two, yeah. Okay. So about ten weeks. Um, so you know, trying to see if there's anything else fun. Nothing. Nothing that's that's great. Yeah. Uh, perhaps it. I. I don't uh, dislike the movies. I, I don't dislike... I loved watching uh, the movies the first time I saw them. I didn't dislike... The, there's nothing really for me to dislike this movie. Do I wish there were different choices made? Yeah, I, I wish there was more Neville. I, I, I wish there was more a Pervardi. She only gets one... She gets called out. She gets a mention. Mm-hmm. Um you know, but that's because I want all the other Hogwarts students to have more to do. But honestly, even in the book, they weren't really there much. I think once you get into stuff like Order of the Phoenix, you, you see the students actually start to matter more because it does become a bigger thing. Like you have them putting together Dumbledore's army. So you're going to need kids there to, you know, fill those ranks. Like they start yeah. bringing you know, Lavender Brown and because like, she's going to matter because she's there for Ron, you know. Uh, but again, like you said, that kind of takes away from the beginning of this because you want you want to feel like he's actually in school. You want him to have those actual life moments. Yeah, and all those life moments are kind of taken away. Like I highlighted them in each of the chapters that we talked about, like him suffering from imposter syndrome, him like uh, dealing with guilt and remorse of his own actions. Um, it's all kind of washed away in this. It's and, and uh, I walking, watching with my wife, Kate, and you know, she's been listening, reading along and actually listening to our podcast as we post it. Uh, she even made mention that this movie is definitely more rounded. Like they, cut all the corners off and rounded them and sanded them down to make it more kid-friendly. Like, because you're expecting a certain level of maturity for a kid that would sit down and read a book mm-hmm. versus, you know, anybody just throwing out a movie and a kid watching it. So, I can understand those choices. I might not love them, but 
And do we get a decent movie that has everything it needs in it to get us through the first chapter? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I even sent you a text. Like, as soon as I finished watching this, I, I kind of wanted to watch Chamber of Secrets. And if I'm about to watch a Harry Potter movie, usually I wind up skipping the first two because they are, you know, abridged lesser versions of what I remember there being in the books. But they're still, I think, really good, enjoyable movies. I definitely enjoy the book now more than the movie. The movie reminds me of what I'm missing from the book now, Mm -hmm. more so than being like, oh, you know what? The movie gets me through what I need to know quicker, and then I could jump into the fourth book instead. Yeah. Now now I I think I'd rather sit down and just power through reading the book than sitting down and watch the movie. There's nothing bad about the movie. I don't want to say that. I feel like I'm coming across as very negative on the movie. I think it's very enjoyable to watch. I think it's great. I think uh, if you're going to do a Harry Potter marathon, I think you have to start at this one. Uh, unlike Chris, I don't think I've ever done a Harry Potter movie marathon where I didn't start at this one and just jumped into Prisoner. It's so. Yeah, Prisoner's really good to start at. Uh, yeah. But th- also, that's really where I think the books start to really pick up and become what they they wind up being i think prisoner on is it's a little bit darker which i i really uh i really like it resonates with me nice um yeah and those are our final thoughts about both uh harry potter and the sorcerer's stone the book and also the movie if you have any thoughts that you'd like to share with us at all, please do so by emailing us, bagnaboardcast at gmail.com, commenting on uh, any kind of post, or sending us a message on Facebook, Bagnaboard. Um, and until next time... Yeah. Uh, so get ready. Uh, if you want to check out the book that we're going to be talking about next, it's actually going to be a Magic the Gathering story novelization telling the tale of the new expansion that just came out. Uh, we're going to be reading Ikoria Lair of Behemoths, Sundered Bond, written by Django Wexler. So it's available right now. Uh, I got it on iTunes or iBooks three ninety nine. So it's a pretty good price. Yeah. Uh, this one we're probably just going to read all in one uh, episode. It, we're not going to be doing it chapter by chapter because this is a pretty quick book coming up, right? It's only a hundred and some odd pages. Yeah, it's eight chapters, so it's much shorter. Uh, yeah. So stay tuned.